0: Podcast One Production The Greens The political party on the left side of politics formed out of a protest nearly 50 years ago who invariably have a big say in how the country runs by holding a balance of power That is, when the big parties need numbers to get their ideas through parliament and into law they need help from the other not-so-big parties and that's where the Greens come in Of course, the party is about more than that My next guest on Peacock Politics was literally there at the very beginning for the Greens. She served 20 years at state and federal level in Parliament and led the entire party for three of those years, Christine Milne. Christine, sometimes perception is everything with politics, but there is a perception out there that the Greens are a bunch of hippies, latte-drinking inner-city Melbourneites, social justice warriors, all those things. What do you say to those claims?
1: It's a very easy stereotype to promote about the Greens and our political opponents have always done that. And I suppose it comes out of the 1970s, the whole sort of hippie movement, which was the characterisation of the peace movement and in the early days, the environment movement. However, that is just not the case. We have Greens across the country on farms, working in all manner of industries And in the public service, uh, green politics is mainstream politics. And that stereotyping is, if it ever was, is no longer appropriate.
0: So I should have said soy latte. Do you you drink soy lattes?
1: (laughs) I can't stand soy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that has smashed a stereotype for me. Um, Let's go back to the start then with the Greens in Australia. How was it formed and, and who was there at the start and the reasons why?
1: Well, the Green Party around the world started in Tasmania. So, this is really quite exciting. Uh, It was really the campaign to stop the flooding of Lake Pedder in southwest Tasmania, a beautiful glacial lake with white and pinkish quartzite beach. It was just magnificent. The campaign against the flooding of Pedder led to the establishment of the United Tasmania Group, and that was the world's first Green Party. So we can really be proud of that as Tasmanians. And when we lost Lake Pedder, lots of people, I was at uni at the time, lots of people like me said... We are never going to let that happen again. If they try to destroy one of these magnificent places, we are going to be there. And so it was really the loss of Pedder that led me to be involved in the campaign to save the Franklin River. And then in 1989, the Tasmanian government was behind the building of a mega uh, pulp mill in Wesley Vale in northwest Tasmania, and that would have destroyed native forests across the state. So I ran the campaign against the pulp mill and joined a group of independents, and we called ourselves The Independents, and that included uh, Bob Brown. There were five of us, and we did get elected, and we held the balance of power in Tasmania. That's how it really began, as The Independents. The next election, we became the Green Independents, and then we formed the Green Party. And so... uh, That was uh, the Tasmanian Green Party and the other Green parties formed around the country. And then in the early 1990s, we formed the Australian Greens as a federation of those state-based parties. So we really grew out of the conservation movement and the peace movement at that time.
0: And it's popped up around the world, Greens-based parties, what, based on the Australian ideal or people have noticed that and just gone, oh, that seems like a good idea. We'll do the same.
1: No, it was based on the Tasmanian and Australian ideal. So the United Tasmania Group had four basic pillars, which still are the pillars of the Greens and are incorporated into the Global Greens Charter. So now we have Green parties in 90 countries around the world and they all adopted the same charter. So those four pillars are ecological integrity, so the environment, social justice, peace and non-violence, And participatory democracy, that is encouraging as many people as possible to get involved in uh, the democracies that they live in. And so those four pillars stem back from Lake Pedder, from the United Tasmania Group, and they are still the basis of the Greens. And in 2001, the Australian Greens organised a meeting of Green parties around the world and we formed the Global Greens. The German Greens came after the Tasmanian experience when Petra Kelly, who was a world-famous conservationist, she came to visit Lake Pedder in Tasmania because she was so interested in what we'd achieved here. On her way back through Sydney... Jack Mundy was conducting the green bans to save a lot of those uh, houses in the rocks in Sydney to save the cultural integrity. She was really impressed by the fact that the unions, organised labour, was siding with the conservation movement to protect that area and the cultural uh, heritage. And so that's where she got the idea of the Green Party from. And so she went back to Europe based on the Tasmanian experience and Jack Mundy and the green bands in Sydney and called the party she established in Europe uh, the German Greens. So that's how the evolution of green came about in the name of the Greens.
0: There you go. It's a a fascinating story. It um, all started all those years ago in Tasmania. Just uh, way back to the beginning, um, what dragged you in? What hooked you into this ideal which became... The Greens and you end up leading the party. So it must have been something significant in your life.
1: Look, uh, I was devastated when we lost Lake Pedder. I determined then the next time they'd try to do that, I would get involved. And so I was arrested and jailed on the campaign to save the Franklin River. Going to prison then was really important to me because it demonstrated uh, that if that was the worst thing that could happen to me, I can handle it. So in many ways, it empowered me to take action. And thereafter, I became involved in environmental uh, campaigns in Tasmania, saving forests. But it was the Wesley Vale campaign, when I was saving a district for the farmers, looking after Bass Strait, stopping the logging of the forests, that led me to stand in the seat of lions against the Liberal Premier of the day, Robin Gray, and I was elected to Parliament. Once there... Uh, As an independent, it became obvious that there was a suite of issues which I really cared about and that formation of the Greens was a logical next step from independent to Green Independent to Green Party.
0: You never went close to going to jail again?
1: Oh, well, I was arrested again on the uh, <laughs> on the Tarkine Road, uh, trying to stop a, uh, a ridiculous road being built through the Tarkine and I'm still campaigning for protection of the Tarkine as a National Park and World Heritage Area. And interestingly, although arrested and jailed, I've never had a conviction <laughs> <Fair> recorded.
0: <laughs> you'd be happy to go... <laughs> if something else came up, you'd be happy to go back there?
1: If necessary, because essentially when... Policies are wrong. You can argue all you like, uh, and I have and I do through the political process, but ultimately if a law is wrong then you have to stand against it, which is why I'm so supportive of the climate emergency movement around the world and I just love the fact that young people are on climate strikes because they're saying actually all this incrementalism isn't working. If you're not prepared to change the laws, we're going to take to the streets to make sure you do. So nonviolent direct action is very much part of my make-up and part of the green.
0: So you'd never get a, a school-aged child in trouble for wagging school and going on one of those rallies?
1: Well, I wouldn't consider it was wagging school. I'd consider it was being participatory democracy. It's young people who are going to inherit the decisions made now taking a stand saying, not good enough.
0: Well, if one of my kids does that and they come up with participatory democracy, i just applaud them out the door and say, go, go for it. Do, do your best if you want to go and do that. If you can Absolutely. Um, hook it into that pillar, if you like.
1: Absolutely. Just
0: on modern times, um, it seems a, a, a hot topic, pardon the pun, climate change. Now, is the policy of the party centred around this in modern times or is it still those four pillars you talk about that the party is beholden to?
1: Well, the four pillars are still there in, in everything we do. So that's environment, social justice, peace and non-violence. But climate change is absolutely front and centre. And when I was leader of the Greens, you know, I made that clear from everything we were doing that if we didn't address global warming, then the rest was lost anyway. We were suffering from a climate emergency leading to a biodiversity crisis and so on. So that is front and centre. And in 2010, that was the last time we had what you could effectively say was a federal climate change election. That was when it was really focused, a post-Copenhagen, when that had not delivered as people had hoped around the world. And so that's when the Greens were elected into balance of power in both houses in 2010. And that's when we drove the clean energy package with the Gillard government, which was legislated, a carbon price, um, the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, the Renewable Energy Agency, the Climate Change Authority, and started to bring emissions down in Australia. So I'm incredibly proud of that. And climate change is still front and centre of the Greens policy and that's why we're out there so strongly supporting 100% renewables but also opposing Adani, absolutely on the front lines opposing Adani and actually I'm working with the Bob Brown Foundation at the moment as part of the campaign to take a convoy up to oppose the Adani mine.
0: That's in uh, far north Queensland and they're they're trying to get that through. Just then with climate change being such a hot topic and everyone knows about it, whether or not you believe in it totally or, or, or believe there's something there or some sides of politics believe it's just non-existent and it's a bit of a furphy, but I get the feeling that those in the electorate do think it's an issue. So why hasn't that made the Greens more popular in terms of just seats in the big houses of parliament?
1: Well, I ask myself that question all the time, Adam, and when I was in um, the federal Senate, you know, I used to be so frustrated that people would understand the significance of climate, but yet not vote to put people in the Senate and in the House of Reps who are so committed to addressing it. I think one of the reasons is the Greens are honest about the radical changes that have to take place if we are to seriously address climate. And that means no new coal mines, no expanded coal mines. It means that that bomb, which is the carbon bomb off the northwest shelf of natural gas, just simply has to stay in the ground and not be pumped out. We have to stop logging native forests. So when we start talking like that and close down coal-fired power stations, that's when people go, oh, well, hang on a minute, what about jobs? What about money? And so on. And that's the issue. When you're honest with people about the fact that we've only got 12 years to rein in greenhouse gas emissions or else we're into runaway climate change, people really struggle with the transformation that is required and they seem happier to just have little incremental changes and that's my frustration at the moment that you've got uh, Labor, for example, saying they support climate action but at the same time supporting a Adani. Well, you simply can't support climate action and support a mega new coal mine. That's just not feasible. So I think that's the reason that people aren't prepared to really face the Extent of the emergency we now confront.
0: What's the biggest challenge in terms of getting the green agenda, if you want to call it that, out there? Is it opposition political parties or is it the electorate believing what you're saying?
1: Uh, I think more, it's, it's more the power of the vested interests in Australia. And this comes to this big issue of integrity in politics and so on. The fossil fuel industry puts a fortune into political donations, absolutely swamps the political process with donations. Those donations transfer into advertising, promotion and so on in election campaigns and they also influence policy decisions. And so the big problem we've got in Australian politics is the distortion that comes from political donations and the lack of transparency around those donations And the power of those vested interests. And really, we desperately need donations reform, but also we need a national integrity. Commission that starts to look at the revolving door. You know, how is it that politicians accept big donations from the fossil fuel industry, take on the energy ministry, then leave politics and go and get a highly paid job in the fossil fuel industry? That revolving door has to be jammed.
0: How do you do that?
1: Well, that's where, um, you know, actually getting real-time donations disclosure. So at the moment, when someone donates to an election campaign, it's not made public until 13 months later or something like that. So in the midst of a campaign, you can't know that one of the big fossil fuel companies has given a vast amount of money to one of the parties. In terms of the revolving door, you need to make it illegal to take a job post-politics with a company directly in the same field as you have been a minister. That is in the Code of Conduct as it is, but it's not legally enforceable. We need to make it legally enforceable. The other thing that would be fantastic, which would change the whole dynamic of Australian politics, is if we had proportional representation in the House of Representatives. That is, you get the number of seats according to the size of the vote that you get. So 10% of the vote would lead to 10% of the seats, for example. That would change things because then you wouldn't have majority governments. You would have some independence, you would have a whole range of minor parties and the old parties as well. And that way they would have to negotiate and decisions would be made on the floor of the house and not in back rooms with vested interests. And that's one of the biggest problems with Australian politics.
0: Wouldn't that mean a change of the constitution? And wouldn't it be easier to stop a coal mine than it would be to change the constitution? (laughs)
1: Well, we can ch- changing the uh, electoral system uh, can be done has been done in the past and so we need to really focus on that if we want to go. People are disillusioned, you know, that's why a lot of people are now saying, "Well, I'm going to vote for independence and not one of the parties." And one of the problems with that is when you vote for an independent, you are putting your faith in that person. You don't know actually what suite of things they believe in. Whereas if you vote for the Greens, for example, you know precisely what they believe in and what their guiding principles are. But we need to restore faith in democracy. It's really disappointing to see how many people are now saying, well, our system's no better than any other. It's not perfect, but it's certainly uh, the best that's around a democratic representative system. And so I'd like to see the democracy really put back in democracy because I would argue now that we're actually a plutocracy, that we've been bought, that it's a government by the wealthy for the wealthy, and the way to get that back is to make it more truly representative.
0: Just on the the funding issue, who funds the Greens?
1: Well, we don't take uh, large corporate donations as the other parties do. We have a... uh, Largely, our donations come from individuals. Our biggest donor in the last uh, federal election was an individual in Western Australia and she had received an inheritance which she then gave to the Greens, so that was all transparent. So most of our money comes from uh, fundraising events and individual donations. We have a uh, committee in the Australian Greens that looks at all donations that come from any company and determine whether that is ethical for us to receive that donation or not. And so clearly we don't take money from gambling interests, from fossil fuel interests uh, and so on.
0: I was going to say that WA inheritance wasn't from a mine, was it? You, you check that no. out? No. Yeah, good. No,
1: it was not from a mine. It, it could well have been in Western Australia, mind you, but it wasn't. It no. was um, a woman whose uh, parents had been in academia.
0: There you go. And I'm sure it was greatly received by it any was. political party. Because um, it, yes. it, it can't be easy, can it? Because you, you you mentioned there about the plutocracy and it sounds like you're saying that big business gets heavily involved in, in politics. Well, big business has a lot of money and you need a lot of money f- to run a political party, do you not?
1: Well, certainly not so much to run the party, but certainly to contest elections. And that's where we have to really look at this issue is is it time to cap how much people spend in elections or is it time to have public funding of elections and ban Donations from the corporate sector. They're questions that need to be answered. I would like to see that happen and us to go to public funding. Of course, it's very easy to blow that up because people say, oh, why should we actually use taxpayers' money to fund elections? You know, uh, that's an easy one for people to get out there and sell. But actually, if you had public funding of elections, then you would get rid of a lot of the buying of influence uh, that goes on.
0: How are the Greens received when Parliament's sitting? In present Parliament, there's nine Green Senators, so that's a, a bit of a say on how things go and I'm sure that there's some politicking going on about uh, can you help us on this and not help us out on this or, or whatever, the, those issues. How are the Greens received in, in the halls of power in Canberra in that regard?
1: How? Uh... <laughs> I have to say it depends on um, how critical we are to the outcome of the vote. So, for example, in the 20... 10 to 13 period, the Greens had the balance of power in both the House of Representatives and the Senate. What that means is that if the Labor government wanted something passed, they had to either get the support of the Liberals to do it, the Liberal National Party, or the Greens. And so it was in their interests to negotiate respectfully with the Greens on a range of uh, of matters. When we are not in the balance of power, then it doesn't matter to the major parties which way we vote because it's not going to make a difference to the outcome. Uh, like when John Howard had control of both parties, then um, there's a fair degree of contempt, not just for the Greens but for opposition parties and or independents. So um, I'm afraid a lot of the "hail fellow well met <laughs> that <laughs> comes, uh, comes your way, you have to take with a fair degree of a grain of salt because you know that your power is relative to how important your vote is to the government of the day. Having said that, it's also the highest level of influence you have and it's because we had balance of power in both houses that we said to Julia Gillard in 2010 that we will support you to form a government if you agree to a carbon price and that it be legislated by the 1st of July 2012. She agreed to that and so we agreed to allow the government to be formed. So that was, that's the level of influence you can have if you get the vote, get the sufficient vote. And that's why I urge people who care about global warming to put the Greens in the strongest position that we can possibly be to negotiate with the, uh, whoever forms government to put solid action into their policies.
0: When that happens, and you do a deal like, if you want to call it a deal, like that with Labor and the Gillard Government, is there, from some sections of that said party, in that instance, the Labor Party, is there some eye-rolling and tongue-biting going on to to kind of hold back on what they actually think of you guys? Um, Do you feel that sometimes?
1: Oh, undoubtedly. Uh, undoubtedly. And, uh, you know, there are elements in uh, the Labor Party who really struggled with the idea of Greens in balance of power. I mean, look at it right now. The CFMEU is... is
0: Construction and mining. It's the
1: biggest... Yeah, is has uh, used its influence in Labor to have every Labor candidate in Queensland supporting the Adani mine. You know, so clearly there are elements in Labor that were totally opposed to what the Greens were doing and and asking of the Labor government. But ultimately, do they want to be in government or not? And many of those ministers wanted to have their backsides on the green seats and on the ministerial leather. And so they... uh they went along with uh, what the Greens had asked for and, of course, was the right thing to do with them the climate and I'm really proud of the fact that emissions came down as a result of that program of work that we put in place.
0: Is the conservative side of politics the mortal enemy?
1: Well, we totally disagree with them on a range of uh, policy positions, and each government is different. So, uh, I found the Abbott government impossible to deal with—just impossible Why is to that? deal with. Like how? Uh, so, when uh, I was in, obviously, in balance of power, 2013, and Abbott was elected, uh, he had. Campaigned and the Tasmanian Liberals had campaigned to excise, cut out 74,000 hectares of forests from the Tasmanian Wilderness World Heritage Area to have them logged. So in my first meeting with Tony Abbott as Prime Minister, I said to him, look... That policy has to go. Those forests are now in the World Heritage Area. The World Heritage Committee is going to laugh at Australia coming back, saying we want to take out those forests. That is something that is critical to my view of the world. And Tony Abbott as Prime Minister said, Oh, I never said that. (laughs) I said... "Uh, what? And he said, Oh no, I never said that we would excise those forests. Um, what's locked up is already locked up, is how he put it. And I said, Oh, well, that's great to hear you say that. Um, can I have that in writing? having heard him say that if it's not in writing, it doesn't count. He said he would give it to me in writing. Well, of course, he didn't. And a couple of weeks later, they submitted the application to the World Heritage Committee to excise those forests, which, as I had indicated, the World Heritage Committee threw out in seven minutes at their subsequent meeting. But after that, I decided there's just no point in trying to negotiate with people who don't keep their side of the bargain. So I think the key thing in when you're in balance of power, as uh, the Greens have been, is not so much uh, the extent to which you agree or disagree, it's more that what you agree in those meetings is agreed and what is not agreed is not agreed. You cannot work with people who don't keep their side of whatever the negotiation has been and so that's the point at which I said you can't deal with the Abbott government and it's why we totally rejected their 2014 budget. It's why I then brought in the Senate inquiry into tax avoidance by multinational corporations because I was so offended by Tony Abbott and Joe Hockey running around talking about lifters and leaners and implying that the lean or not just implying saying that the leaners in Australia were welfare recipients and that the lifters were the multinationals and the large companies and what we demonstrated with the Senate inquiry was in fact the leaners in Australian politics are the big corporates who don't pay tax and who put in mega uh, political donations to make sure they never do pay tax.
0: So out of that I, I get the feeling that Tony Abbott might have thought you guys are a bunch of troublemakers?
1: Uh I don't know what Tony Abbott thought, but he was soon discredited as a Prime Minister and remains um, discredited. But the the larger point here is that when you're in balance of power, you do have to uh, negotiate with the government of the day and that can lead to positive outcomes. Um, and that's up to uh, the parliaments to work through.
0: Internal issues, it seems like they're a problem in every political party, no matter where you look. What are some of the internal issues that have maybe held the Greens back over the years?
1: Oh gosh, Um, establishing and developing and managing the growth of a political party is very hard work from any perspective. any political perspective because you have to recruit members, you have to be as democratic as you possibly can with input into policy. You're dealing with a lot of volunteers, people who are giving up an enormous amount of time to help you run the party. You've also got to make sure that you meet all your legal obligations uh, under the electoral acts and so on. So there are a lot of issues and and growth pains in uh, growing the party, but I suppose Um, In terms of the Greens, the Greens really began in various places based on one of the four pillars. So in Tasmania, it was very much an ecological party. In other parts of the country, it was more based on the peace movement. Joe Valentine, for example, in Western Australia, very much came out of the anti-nuclear movement and in New South Wales they have focused more on social justice issues and so there has been a tension I think over the years as to how you manage those priorities. For the Greens all of those things are important. The question is how do you manage those tensions?
0: It <laughs> sounds like an easy job.
1: <laughs> it's not a, it's not an easy job. I can I can tell you that.
0: Uh, no. How did you manage it? You were you were the leader for 3 years.
1: Yes, that's right. And it requires a lot of uh, conversations as to how you are going to manage that. But I very strongly took the view and the party took the view at the time that global warming was the overwhelming uh, issue, but so too was the refugee crisis. And that falls into the Greens' commitment to social justice. And so we ran very hard on fairness to refugees and upholding international law when it came to the management of refugees as well, which is why the Greens are out there now very strongly calling for the closure of uh, Nauru and Manus Island and were part of trying to get people back to Australia and certainly not supporting them being sent to Christmas Island. So... It's possible to deal with a number of issues at the same time, but when you stand back and look at the way the world is at the moment, the ecological crisis is overwhelming And if we do not deal with that, then that is going to feed into a crisis of people movement around the planet. You're going to see more extreme weather events disrupting uh, food and water supplies around the world. We've seen it with the Murray-Darling. We have to start really taking ecological issues seriously in Australia.
0: No question they're huge issues and they're widely reported and and talked about on a consistent basis. And the other one you mentioned there with refugees, just... One thing though, that with a government and and being in government and being in Parliament, a big part of it is economic management, balancing budgets and spending the taxes, if you like, where does where does the greens stand on all of this because where does it fit into the four pillars, or is it something that you you think about daily as an add-on?
1: Ah, uh, well, it has to be part of the equation, but it rather than be um, uh, dominating by the fact of, this is supposedly the budget we have, we need to think outside the square and say, well, how do we actually, instead of just dividing up the pie that we've already got, how do you increase the pie? And that's why the Greens have never supported uh, massive tax cuts for corporates, for example, because we need that taxation revenue to pay for education and health and the like. But the Greens have actually been incredibly responsible economic managers. If you go back to the global financial crisis when the Rudd government was in power... The uh, Liberal National Party totally opposed the stimulus package, they totally opposed all of those initiatives at the time, and the Labor Party of the day had to rely on the Greens to respond to the global economic crisis uh, in the way that we did that um, effectively allowed Australia to escape from the worst aspects of that. In terms of economic management, it's been the Greens who pushed for the Banking Royal Commission, for example, when that was opposed by both the Liberal and Labor parties so that we get appropriate management of the uh, financial structures in the economy and how they affect people. It's been the Greens who uh, went out there and said, we need to price carbon and actually charge polluters and put that money back into the community rather than as the Liberal National Party are now doing which is taking money from the community and paying polluters, it should be the other way around. So wherever you look you'll find that green economic policies have been about raising revenue in order to meet the uh, needs of the Australian community, whether it's in education, whether it's in housing whatever we are trying to do and In effect, good environmental management and good economic management go hand in hand.
0: What's the immediate future you see of the Greens in Australia?
1: Well, the Greens are going to continue to grow as a political party. I think this coming uh, 2019 federal election is going to be a tough one for the Greens. The fact of the matter is when the coalition have been in power for a long time, as with John Howard and Kevin Rudd in 2007, and now uh, the coalition have been in power for two terms, very much the social justice environment peace movement in Australia desperately wants to get rid of a coalition government. That means with the Greens campaigning in this election, a lot of people tend to say, look, I really like what the Greens stand for, but I have to make sure there's a change of government. So we're going to vote Labor or we're going to vote this or that. That's where it becomes really difficult. So every election is different in terms of the configuration of how people are feeling. But I think that As this is going to be a climate election, and as I indicated before, the first one since 2010, I think the Greens are well positioned to go out there and and get Australians to vote for the Greens in the context of a change of government so that if there is the change of government that the Greens will be there to push Labor to a much more ambitious ask on climate than they otherwise would be prepared to take.
0: Christine from... uh looking after a lake all those years ago to chatting here now about the greens and I'm sure you will until um, the day you leave this planet. Uh, Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it and thanks for being a part of Peacock Politics.
1: Well, thank you. It's been great to chat to you.
0: Peacock Politics was presented by me, Adam Peacock and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Liv Proud, sound production by Darcy Thompson, theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search Peacock Politics on Apple Podcasts.